Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the shark-phobic films from the VHS era. Uh, my name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Hi. And tonight we're discussing a strange one. Uh, the 1978 Italian adventure horror sci-fi crime movie cave of the sharks uh leland had you ever heard of this movie no one's ever heard of this movie yeah i really can't find anything about it like i really tried to do research like i'd normally do and there's just nothing i i honestly can't even believe it's on youtube all you got to go off of is an IMDb, an IMDb page and yeah, the, the YouTube. Pretty much. So I, I ordered this, I don't know, about five years ago now from a bootleg DVD company called Cult Action that has since disappeared. Um, and I believe that my copy is the same version that's on YouTube and it seems to be recorded from like Italian TV. So... I don't know if this ever was released in theaters, if it ever came out internationally. I have no idea on this one. I'm starting to think we might have picked the wrong name for this podcast, right? Like, we should have went with YouTube Nightmares because, you know, if you at home would like to set sail with us on the high seas of Cinema Obscura, then as of this broadcast, you at home can watch Bermuda Cave of the Sharks on YouTube and like us experience what is likely the most surreal episode of Magnum PI ever conceived. That's a good description, but no, I'm trying to stick to movies that I own on physical media um, and stay true to the video store theme, but you know, it's too late to change stream now. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing I've had to bust out my VCR for so far is the Forbidden Zone. So this this movie might be obscure, but it was apparently successful enough that it allowed the director to make some other shark movies. So after this one, he directed Encounters in the Deep. Uh, a couple years later, he did Night of the Sharks. So this is like a theme for this guy. His name is Tonino Rico or Ricci, like Christina Ricci, Tonino Ricci. And he, he didn't do a ton of movies. Uh, I, I've really never heard of any of them aside from this one. Uh, no, I take that back. He did a movie called Panic that came out on Prism Video. Uh, I've seen that one, but pretty obscure stuff here i did find the director on imdb so i looked through his filmography and i did see that there were other shark films and i was wondering if there was any continuity i don't think there is just from like reading wikipedia uh, i wonder if they're in the same style as this one i mean don't a lot of these directors like stay with a very similar formula throughout their career. Yeah, I think so. But then you have hacks like Joe D'Amato, who will just do whatever he gets paid to do. 
I'll, uh, one thing that's hopeful is at least one of those other shark movies was also the score was also composed by uh, Stelvio Cipriani, who I absolutely love. He also did the score for Tentacles, um, as well as just a slew of Italian films. I, I have a lot of his soundtracks on vinyl. Um, I love this guy. And it's a travesty. This this film score has never been released on vinyl. It didn't get an official CD release, but only like two years ago. Imagine the production company that's willing to put that album out. Like, hey, do you think we can actually sell like, uh, I don't know, 50 copies of this? Like, I mean, I think people have heard of the movie. I think so just because it's Cipriani. I, I don't think it's because of the film. I think it's because of the composer. Mm. Um he he's pretty he's pretty well known. Um and I think you can see why. Like I maybe you disagree with me, but I think the score is the most effective part of this movie. I am not gonna argue that. I don't know if that's saying that much, but um, I do I do love this score uh, and I will be professing my love for it throughout this cast. So before we get into the plot, um, what's your overall take? Like, did you like this? Would you recommend it? I mean, we got to save that for the end, man. No, I think it's like if in case the in case the listener wants to like hit pause and go watch the movie, then they get to hear whether they should bother. So I enjoyed watching this, but I think as a whole, you can probably get away with watching maybe two particular scenes of this film and then move on with your life. I have a feeling what at least one of those scenes is, uh, and it might be one of my favorite scenes in a film ever, uh, but let's not spoil it. We'll get there. So there is no trailer for this film, so I'm just going to play the theme song here, and then we'll get into the plot.
All right, so we open on lots of scenes of windsurfing and actually beautifully shot underwater scenes. Like the underwater scenes are far too well shot for this caliber of movie. Is that your feeling? I totally agree. The The opening credits, and I guess uh, as an extension of a fair amount of this film, just looks like a commercial for a, a Bermuda vacation. You know, come parasail in the mysterious waters of the Triangle, where, it, uh, you know, we, we totally promise there's no sharks in caves. It has a very Italian made-for-television look. Um, but the underwater scenes are beautiful and, uh, we get to hear this incredibly catchy, I guess it's a theme song because we get variations of it throughout the film. Like I just played the main one, but we hear like surreal version of it, the funky version of it, the scary version of it. Like, do you like when films do that play on one central theme? I don't really notice it for films, but I definitely think it stands out for television and uh, video games. Uh, you don't really see this very or hear this very often in movies. Yeah, I think you do more in 70s film than you do now. Um, the movie I always think of as Phantasm because A, it just... I love the Phantasm score, but there's a scene in Phantasm where we go into a bar and they're playing the Phantasm theme, which is like this haunting synthesizer thing, but in a disco version. And I think that's the most obnoxious uh, form of what I'm talking about. Um, although this scene, this movie uh, uses this theme to excessive effect. Have you ever windsurfed? never it's really hard Th this oh, movie yeah. makes it look easy but it's really hard i don't know if i want to ever do it again <laughs> but i'm glad i've at least tried well i mean you definitely don't want to go windsurfing in the bermuda triangle right no not if this movie's in well i don't know maybe i do want to experience some of the things in this movie um so You're, we do you think like Bermuda has like a really healthy tourist like like drive like not obviously not now because of covid but like before that I I have absolutely no idea can you imagine it being kind of like um like St Augustine where they try to like they get you to Bermuda and then it's just like a bunch of weird tours of strange stretches of water being like oh man look for the anomalies of the Bermuda triangle do they sell keychains shaped like triangles? Oh, God, I think that's the given, right? Right at the port. <laughs> <laughs> well, er, so I'm going to mix the characters up in this movie. but and, and this movie gives last week's movie a run for its money <laughs> in terms of lazy exposition. Oh, because <laughs> characters speak in monologue, explaining the plot to us repeatedly. I think the I think the only way I can allude to characters in this movie is Andres and uh, the relation to Andres, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So Andres is a man who appeared in the ocean after missing for six months, and conveniently, um, 
his his brother is the doctor who is in the hospital where he's staying and his brother is ricardo and we get some flashbacks to sort of scary looking sharks and what looks like a shipwreck but other than that he can remember nothing of what happened to him in these six months we also meet angelica his fiance who is conveniently having an affair with ricardo and so we have uh, a love triangle that's triangle um that's set up really conveniently for us in this opening scene is it immediately an affair because he had been gone for so long they assumed him like dead like cast away like yeah i mean moved on. maybe like romantic dalliance or uh interlude i don't know i don't know how you would what you would call this but yeah i think that's fair i definitely don't blame her like i don't she doesn't come across as a bitch for doing this no not at all but you know she did accomplish what frank could not she got both siblings that's true yeah um and and, and i find the the resolution of this triangle to be satisfying but we'll get there um so the police want to question andres about where he's been even though he has no memory and the police are really sure that there's no way he could have spent six months in the ocean and so <laughs> this is my favorite bit of exposition the police officer keeps asking him questions and he keeps saying i don't remember and then the police officer says well let me start at the beginning then and then he narrates the whole exposition to us hey you know what helps amnesia recollection just constantly being like, hey, man, just remember. <laughs> yeah, and, and summarizing the events of your life thus far, right? Um, I mean, was that as bad as the radio broadcast before that, though? I mean, I, I think Night Killer ruined news broadcast expositions for me. Like, uh, no, I I still like them. This oh, comes God. off this comes off as clumsier than Night Killer to me. It, it does it. I don't know, man. It was like it, it, that that radio announcer gave everybody's like full name, date of birth, <laughs> what they're doing with their lives, mother's maiden name. Like you could probably like crack some some like password reset prompts using that radio broadcast. I don't know. I think I noticed it more in this movie because we had just talked about it last week and I don't I I've seen this movie a couple of times and I, it didn't really catch me off guard before, but it did this week. It feels very clumsy. Um, but we find, so we find out in part that Andres was on this ship called the white shark and it disappeared completely along with everyone on it. And he's the only person who has popped up six months later. And we also find out that, well, we see a scene where Angelica and Ricardo are talking and you can tell they're like in love. And she says, you know, Andres needs me. Uh, I don't want to be selfish. I, I have to be with him. And Ricardo is incredibly understanding. I mean, he's got to be. He's got to be the level headed one. Right. And I mean, it's also his brother. So, I, I mean, I don't know how close they are, but do 
do brothers often like one went into medicine and the other went into professional scuba diving uh, sometimes you know siblings go completely different ways yeah well this is one of those cases as a as a single child i cannot personally relate to this but it has been observed in nature yeah well my brother and i were very different but um I don't know. You don't often see uh, siblings with this different of career paths in movies. But we we get this weird montage now of like, let's start dating all over again between Andres and Angelica. We see them at a cockfighting ring. We see them lobstering. We see them taking photographs around town. We see them at a casino. <laughs> Like this is a really odd it, this this feels like a tourism video for yeah. Bermuda. Here's all the things that Bermuda has to offer. I mean, we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but do you like how this investigator never comes back into the film ever again? He served his purpose. His purpose was exposition. That's it. Like, yo, I will be back to investigate this crime. And like then the triangle claims another victim. You never see him again. <laughs> the, 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 the police do seem remarkably uninterested in this boat that disappeared. They they don't really talk about the boat at all, like what it was even for. And then like the, the psychologist, right? As soon as the um as soon as the investigator leaves, it's just like, yo. Fuck the policia. Just never remember because it was probably a shit memory anyway. You forgot it for a reason. <laughs> right. And then immediate transition to cockfighting. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the cockfighting scene really caught me off guard. Maybe it's because I'm an American, but um so while they're doing their dating, we see the bad guy driving up, and we know he's the bad guy because he gets his own bad guy theme music. Did you notice that it's like menacing funk music? No, actually, I don't remember him having specific theme music. So let me pull it up as a refresher. Yeah, remind yourself, because he definitely does. So is this another one of those songs where there are like five variations throughout the film? Yeah, exactly. It's the standard, like, it's part of the regular theme, but it's slowed down and made a little menacing. It just sounds like softcore porn music. Oh, you've got to fine tune your ears, your your understanding of 70s theme music, because that's mafia hitman music. Well, I'm not saying it's bad. Far from it. Like, I'm pretty sure I have an album laying around here somewhere that is specifically a collection of hits from, like, big 70s, 80s porn films. It's just, like, the soundtracks for them. Oh, I've got several compilation records, yeah. There is some great music in 70s porn. I mean, I agree. Like, you know, a good bass line is, is something that's just not as appreciated as much as it was back then. No, definitely not. So we 
we see that there's a plane flying across the ocean with some kind of cargo. We don't know what it is. They just say the cargo. And <laughs> this plane is like a micro machines <laughs> levitating up across a black screen. Oh, for sure. It's it's a little handheld model. It's it's off course, but mysteriously, there's no wind. Maybe because it's a model, but there's there's no wind and yet it's off course. And we keep getting these shots underwater with weird lights flashing and there's haunting, moaning music with weird synthesizers. All of this underwater music is glorious.
I cannot say enough of how much I love this underwater music. One thing you tend to see in a lot of films that have water scenes is uh, is that they're like filmed on like sound stages or like highly curated parts of the ocean meant for like filming. And it, you do not get that impression at all from this movie, even in the scenes that have weird supernatural aspects to it. It's all it all seems like really well done. And it's strange that you have that. And then you have this plane model. <laughs> well, the that's why the, the music's in a different league than the rest of the film. And Cipriani worked on like really high end film as well. And there's a whole genre of like European, especially library music that was specifically made for underwater scenes and I don't know if our listeners know, but I, I collect records as well. And this is a genre I'm really into. But this movie rivals the best of them. As obscure as it is, it, the underwater score is is beautiful. But anyway, we it, it suggests that there's something off here. And uh, the guys in the plane describe, I think they describe the flashing lights underwater as like lightning, but underwater. But it really just looks like flashing lights. Yeah, it just looks like the sharks are like constantly turning their lights on and off in their bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is, none of the plane's controls work. And they say they can't radio for help because this is a, quote, unauthorized flight. <laughs> so we why know they're... This, why does this control tower look like a scene from Star Trek? I don't know. It's uh, the I don't know how realistic this is, but the futurism kind of contrast with the rest of the setting. Oh, do you think this movie was supposed to be set in like a, a futuristic environment? No, I think this is <laughs> this is very 70s. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, what exactly were the pilots expecting? the air traffic controllers to do here they just like panic and like want them to take over the controls or something yeah first they're not going to call them at all because it's an unauthorized flight then they call them but i yeah I, I really don't know what they're expecting them to do maybe get like authorization to land or yeah land right in the triangle <laughs> well that's essentially what happens right they get like sucked down into a whirlpool yeah, that, that model sinks to the bottom of the director's bathtub. So, so whatever the cargo was, we know the gangster guys are... We see them talking on the phone about the missing plane, and they've got to get it because of the box. There's a box on board. We never find out what's in this box, right? No, I I actually rewatched the finale multiple times to make sure I didn't miss anything. No, this is like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction, right? Like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. Maybe there's a deeper meaning here. You know, people think that it's like Marcellus Wallace's soul or whatever. Maybe this suitcase is or the this box has the the key to the underwater world or something. It might not even be related to that. It's probably not. So I like this. Um, the first of all, the gangster guy's voice is ridiculous, and he says, "Listen, I'll find some frogmen to salvage her. 
You won't get nosy. So this guy is Arthur Kennedy, who is in a lot of these films. I mean, I don't want to say these films. There are no films like this one, but these kinds of films, European crime films. So the gangster guy hires Enrique, who is Andre's partner, as well as Andre's, uh, to go down and get the box. And I like this line, too. <laughs> I like you, fellas. You got a sense of humor. But when I talk about a job, I talk serious. So they do. They go through this whole negotiation, and they eventually decide it's going to be $15,000, two days to think it over, and any equipment they need to get this done. But where the plane is, um, when they go out to look for it, they say they don't like it that the natives stay, stay clear of this place. This is like the biggest uh, island movie cliche of all time, right? The natives won't go there. Yes, but, you know, there is some truth to that. You know, if you have a native population who are avoiding an area, whether they're tribal or not, <laughs> it's probably a good idea not to go there. Yeah, but regardless, they dive down. And we get more of this underwater music, which is so good. But let's play some. So it sounds like like Echo the Dolphin on acid, right? Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm actually in a in like a astrological aquarium or something. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I'm also so going back to records for a moment, I have a soft spot for any record that includes water noises, like bubbling or sloshing or I don't know, it does something to me. Does it strike you as odd that like somehow our amnesiac protagonist already has a new job with like familiar coworkers? Because I was kind of under the impression everyone he worked with died. No. So, okay. So this goes back to what it kind of boat he was on, right? I get this. I, I got the impression that he was on a boat, like a, like a cruise boat or something with like a bunch of people. But then it would be weird that his fiance wasn't there. No, they specifically mentioned in the beginning that he's on some kind of job that he was supposed to retrieve something for somebody. And that's why the police investigator was there, because there was such a huge loss of life and, and property. Gotcha. OK, so, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, maybe it's a little he does he remembers everything before he disappeared right he just doesn't remember the six months he was missing i mean that's what i initially thought but then you were like then andre and angelica go and like start dating again like to find to discover each other again and i'm like now i'm thinking how much did he really forget maybe they both just changed so much in that six months in six months yeah <laughs> 
they have to yeah. get get used to one another. Uh, we're probably overanalyzing the fuck out of this. I'm sure we are. Um, <laughs> regard, I did find it a little weird that he's immediately, you know, diving again after this traumatic experience of being missing for six months. Well, he doesn't remember it, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, so there's no trauma. The trauma is buried that deep. Yeah. Thanks, brain. So they they don't find the plane, um, but they do find a school of sleeping sharks. And they have a conversation about how weird this is because sharks need to constantly move in order to take in oxygen. You, you know that's absolute bullshit, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I like- obviously is because we see real sharks <laughs> laying still in the well, movie. And well. <laughs> I don't think they hypnotized them. Like, I don't think they have any uh, shark handler that's that good. I mean, I think just about every shark story everywhere mentions this fact. And then they're just like, like ah, sharks die if they stop moving. Ah, it's a metaphor for... Uh, aggressive A-type personality sociopaths. Ah, but you know they could have, they could have like tranquilized or bled these sharks to the point where they just couldn't move anymore. <laughs> no, there are there are species of sharks that do this. That like quote unquote sleep on yeah. on the bottom of the water. Um, and you, you can never rule out animal cruelty in an Italian horror film. No, that's totally true. Although, I'm. I'm not sure how feasible it is with sharks. But no, I don't know what I don't know enough about sharks to say what breed this is or what kind of shark, but there are breeds of shark that lay still on the bottom of the water. It's okay. I, I don't think our listeners are here for sharkology. No. Um <laughs> we Leland and I tried to find before this podcast what the name of like the the official name for study of sharks is and there doesn't seem to be one nope got to study with you, you gotta you gotta settle with um like ichthyologist or something which is like the study of fish in general yeah just all fish all fish can't specialize all right so andres is all for going back down there to find the box and the fallen plane uh but enrique doesn't want to go um so they have a little conversation and then we get the scene this scene is one of my favorite scenes i've ever seen a film i can't tell you what's happening during it i mean i can describe i'm gonna do my best to describe it (laughs) but you've just got to see it for yourself you know what scene i'm talking about right oh absolutely so I don't know if this is taking place at the same time the movie is, or if this is a flashback. I'm not sure, but for, for all we know, this was filmed for a completely different movie, and they just tossed it in here. No, well, I guess that's possible, but the musical score blends it together seamlessly. I so gotta, I gotta be honest. Up until this point in the film, I think we're about thirty minutes in. I was kind of spacing out a little bit. Yeah. And then I, and then this happened. <laughs> yeah. I I I can I think everyone who's ever seen this movie and is it all on our wavelength uh had that experience. So we see a, a boat with a bunch of people like under deck 
like it's like a party they're all lounge, lounging around but none of them are talking to each other um there's a guy playing a guitar and he's playing the theme song but he's singing lyrics to it we haven't had lyrics before i don't think and it's really like easygoing lyrics like you know all our friends are here we're on the beach sort of lyrics but at the same time there's it, it, the music creates sort of an eeriness already. Like, did you find this song strangely eerie? Yes. Um, it's it's sort of like the 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 train the tr the the whistle before the train, right? Coming out of the tunnel. Yeah. There's, there's something like so like odd and melodic about it that just like immediately snapped me to attention. This is a scene that David Lynch wishes he had directed. Like, <laughs> is it, that an interview or? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, I don't even know if David Lynch has seen this, but I could guess it captures his same like dreamlike, odd mood with the oddly placed but also oddly fitting music. Anyway, all these people are sitting around, they're drinking, they're hanging around, hanging out. And they they but they keep looking at each other and giving each other strange and like serious looks and you can't tell exactly what they're trying to communicate it's just weird looks and there's one guy who's playing with tarot cards and he flips one over that's the death card and we see this girl, this young girl and she's exchanging looks with this guy and she's holding possibly the world's ugliest doll you know i was thinking this film was really vanilla and as soon as that doll popped up i was like oh there it is there there's the video store youtube nightmares right there we got to it <laughs> like it i'm i'm trying to do you think this doll was made as a prop for this movie or do you think someone took like a normal doll and like melted it down or kind of squished it like <laughs> what happened to this doll i have a feeling this doll belonged to somebody like because it was so fucking weird looking and they just used it for this film it it, it looks like it was from a dumpster do you think there's more than one out there like was this oh. doll mass produced i mean it isn't just the doll itself there's like cosmetic damage or modifications done to it that make it so out of place. Yeah, guys, uh, listeners, just look this thing up. I mean, if you haven't, this is the scene you gotta see the movie for. So you need to see this thing. But yeah, this is this is what I was saying at the beginning, right? Like, let's say you're 35. You know, you you need to invest your time into like hobbies, your career, getting married, having children, and, and maybe you don't have time to spend hour 20 minutes looking at some some sharks right just the this this scene and probably the end of the film you can just watch those two and then move on with your life so i i wouldn't go that far because i think the i think the whole film is elevated by this scene although it has no bearing on the plot i don't think no i don't think so either but um i mean i have my theory but in not any way that's told to us for sure like, I mean, when I was watching this scene, 
uh, getting ready for this podcast, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to communicate this scene. I think it's so effective because the tonal shift is so jarring, right? Because the film starts off with medical drama, then transition into vacation, brother getting cucked on vacay, you know, uh, montage. Then they slide into Euro crime drama and now induced mass suicide under like mysterious circumstances and i jumped ahead (laughs) that's okay i'm getting there so this this girl gets up she's holding the doll by the hair and it's like no kid carries their doll like this maybe this doll i don't know but she's holding the doll by the hair and she keeps exchanging looks with this guy and she walks up on deck and we get like a camera close up on the doll's face and she looks down in the water and the flashing lights are there and the creepy underwater synthesizer music starts and then she climbs down into the water fully clothed and we see the doll floating under the water and then everyone on board the boat as if hypnotized starts to just walk into the ocean like walk off the side of the boat and we keep seeing the doll floating under the water and it starts spewing blood out of its mouth and sort of like popping against the camera and as everyone on board is just walking into the water and everyone starts swimming and one thing so i'm not sure if this is a mistake or if it is intentional or if it's a mistake but it adds something to the film but i can't tell if this scene is day or night because it keeps flashing back and forth between darkness and light i honestly couldn't tell you i don't think i was paying any attention to that yeah i had never it it never really like jarred me until this viewing but yeah we uh it keeps switching back and forth and i think it has something to do with um they couldn't film underwater at night yeah at night yeah so that's that's probably what it was because i know the the boat is during the daytime there might be a blue filter over some of the outside portions as they're jumping into the water yeah i'm not sure but day or night we see the sharks on the move and then people start getting dragged down presumably by the sharks and they they try to reach the surface of the water but they can't and then end scene like this so absolutely out of place but it's not like an unwelcome surprise like imagine you're just sucking some good dick having an all right time when suddenly some boba comes out like through a straw. <laughs> I, I'm caught off guard by my imagination of the image. Um, to me, I mean, I, I kind of like this whole movie. I would have watched the whole thing without this scene, but this scene is why I've seen the movie more than once. And yeah, listeners, you need to watch it for this scene. So back to the story. 
unfortunately we never see that doll again i would have watched a whole movie about that doll i don't think it's possible to keep an entire movie with that tone no i don't think so either i don't think it's sustainable but I the the only thing I think to compare it to is the tone that David Lynch captures sometimes. I've Just never seen I don't think I've never I don't think I've ever seen another film that captures the the tone of this scene quite like this. And although this scene is weird, this is um and and probably the best scene of the film. This does continue as we as the as the plot progresses. Yeah. So, at, uh, back to the plot, Enrique and Andres go back to the sleeping sharks, and they find the plane, and there's a ripoff of the scene from Jaws where, like, a dead face pops in the window of the plane, right? And, but they find the box, and there's this bright light, and we see the shark is coming towards them. And so one of them, I don't know which one, takes off his scuba suit and throws it to the shark. So the shark attacks that. Would that actually work? Like, is this smart? I don't know, man. I've never, I've never had to evade a shark attack. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know know if the shark would actually go for this. All I know is the shark straight robbed him. (laughs) He just took that jacket and ran. Hey, it's better than taking your body. Mm-hmm. They swim back to the boat with the box. It's just like a metal, like um, military style box. And the gangster guy, Arthur Kennedy, pulls a gun. And I like this. They just throw something at him and dive back into the water, taking the box with them. I thought that was a pretty sick move. Yeah, it was effective. Like they actually show some quick thinking. They they swim down and they find a shipwreck. Um, did you assume this was the white shark, the ship that Andres was on when he disappeared? No, but that makes sense. Yeah, that was my assumption since Wait. it's at like the location. But so like coincidentally, the box just happened to sink from an airplane crash. Or, OK, so we're assuming the plane crashed in the same place where the boat sank yeah because it's the entrance to the cave the shark cave okay yeah yeah i I get confused about who's who during the scene but it's enrique who gets who sees this really bright light underwater and he gets sucked through some sort of tunnel while andres is being chased down by the gangster guy and now we have like funky action music playing while the gangster guy shoots at andres what did you think of like the shift back to gangster shootout scene? I've never seen another movie with this kind of tone, like ever. It, do you think that like imagine you're watching an episode of like Miami Vice and suddenly they're investigating drug dealers that are like summoning demons? <laughs> yeah, then that's good. So Andre sur- survives, even though he's been shot in the back, and we we see him in the hospital. And Angelica 
he wants Angelica to help him go down and try to figure out what happened to Enrique. Angelica wants to go down with him, but Andre says no. Um, and th this is where Andre starts to remember things, I guess. He says that he remembers being held prisoner by mysterious beasts and that the sharks are like guard dogs for the cave. Thanks, exposition. Yeah, I mean, this was a convenient... Well, I guess it makes sense that the, the experience underwater jarred his memory. So the gangster guy has a new partner now who flies in and they go to harass Andres because they want the box. And the Angelica is off with Ricardo. And the, the gangster guys tie Andres up in, like, the curtains. I actually thought this was pretty clever. I mean, these are, these are professional, like, uh, you know, interrogators, right? Like, they're used to getting their money, getting their information. Yeah, I've just never seen this before. It's, I, I don't know if it's curtains. It's like fish netting, but it's hanging in front of the window, and they just tie them up in it. <laughs> like, you know, when you pick that stuff out for your for your fancy house, you never really thought about it being weaponized, right? <laughs> no, no. Um, it. I wonder if you could sue for that. Like, um, it's it's kind of like when you know you you have those people who have uh like tons of house plants in, in front of their property and maybe they're on top of like cinder blocks and stuff like that's like that's a pretty big invitation to some jerk to like pick up a cinder block and, and just start breaking into your house or breaking into your skull you know but you know how like people who companies that make curtains like fireproof them what if you also made them like not proof that might be the most intelligent question I've ever asked on this podcast. <laughs> How do you make a piece of cloth not proof? <laughs> make it really slippery. I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, these curtains, they look so nice, but there's, oh God, there's like a film. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Angelica shows up and she's with this guy he's we only find we only hear his name as the captain i don't know what his name is but and he looks like a captain and i guess he's gonna help them go back out to search for enrique um so they show up and the funky action music plays and the captain and the gangster sidekick guy they get in a knife fight and andres attacks the uh, arthur kennedy the gangster guy with his crutch um the captain gets killed, but so does the sidekick guy. So, you know, I thought, I, I, I swear, I thought this captain guy was going to stick around for the rest of the film. <laughs> we were introduced to both of these characters for like a whole of five minutes. But like the way they present him and set him up, it's like, yeah, this guy's going to get shit done <laughs> and immediately dies on the front lawn. I mean, it's the same as the sidekick guy. Like, it's it, the the other gangster guy shows up, and it seems like he's like a supervisor or something. Like, it's he says something like, you know, the boss doesn't like the way you're handling this, so I'm here to clean up. But yeah, he he gets dispatched right away too. I so. would not want to be Andre's friend because it feels like all of his friends die in this film. 
you think he should have stayed missing? Probably. I mean, the like, you know, now I think about it, the film's opening premise is that all of his friends died on a boat. Yeah, <laughs> that that was the warning sign, red flag to stay away. Well, Enrique didn't heed that, uh, n- nor did the captain. But Angelica, and Angelica's with him, although she wants Andres to give up on Enrique. She she went from wanting to go underwater with him to wanting him to give up. It, it well, seems like an abrupt character shift. To be fair, she just watched two men die in front of her over this box. Yeah, true. So this is kind of important. We see the gangster guy in a bar and he hires another guy to take him out and get the box. Did you notice that? So there's another negotiation scene. He's only going to pay this guy 1500 bucks. Enrique and Andres were going to make 15000 It seems like this guy's getting ripped off. I mean, it's important to know your worth, right? When you have a craft. I guess. I mean, so he basically like the A-listers didn't work out. So he went, he's hiring like the Kmart guy now. Actually, you know, the, the gangster was never going to pay out. No, no. For the box. It, so, you, know, you know, that number doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. But I well, except a reflection of the his vow, the value he places on these people. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. We know that he has some plan up his sleeve. Um, we hear more about how Andres thinks the sharks are possessed by an external power. And then we see a scene of an old fisherman telling a story. But though I was underwater, I was alive. I could breathe. I was on a path under the sea strewn with the wrecks of ships. A path that led somewhere. And I had to go there and find out what it was that led me on. I kept on walking, wondering if I was alive or just dreaming, drawn like by a magnet. Then I saw the sharks. They came towards me, but they didn't touch me, as if something protected me and kept them away. And then, I blacked out. I can't tell you what happened to me. No light, no sound, nothing. And when I opened my eyes, I'd been pulled out of the water. I was on an old fishing boat, and they told me I'd been missing for two months. And when I got back to land, I never wanted to go out on the sea again. Andres, you and me, we know there's something down there. Another world, another form of life. Maybe it's something left over from the past, a city that disappeared into the sea. But whatever it is, I know they need us. And now my only regret is I'm old. I wish I'd gone down again. It's too late for me now. I can never go back, but you can. You got to. But don't tell them you're going. So that's probably the closest we get to like an explanation of what's going on in this movie. Right? Yeah. Like I didn't expect this film to go from, you know, Euro crime to Lovecraft. Like if this film script was like 70% more inner monologues, about like the fragile nature of human existence on a cosmic scale 
and like the intricacies of ancient stonework, then this would probably be like a really decent Lovecraft fanfic. Like, I wish they'd leaned more into that, and maybe they wanted to, but just didn't have the budget. Yeah, like, what if the script changed during filming? I suppose that's possible. Like, a producer came in and was like, you know, I didn't really want all this crime shit. Like, you don't need to up the the haunted sharks and the evil ocean plot line. All right, all the actors, end of the ocean, mass suicide scene right now. <laughs> yeah, like plan B. That should have been their plan A. So because this old fisherman says he has to, Andres and Angelica are going back out. And all right, so now Angelica's going to go down by herself. So she went from she wanted to go down, but he wouldn't let her to she didn't want either of them to go. And now she is going down by herself. I felt like I missed something in this. Like I missed a conversation between the two of them. Yeah, release the director's cut. <laughs> Maybe this is a TV edit. <laughs> I demand a theatrical release. I, I mean, I would uh, I would like to see these. Un I would go see it in theaters just for the underwater scenes between the music and the film and a digital remaster. I could go for that. Like a nice 4K Blu-ray release of this. I don't think that's ever going to happen with a director's commentary. Is this director even alive anymore? I don't think so, but. Honestly, if they did do that, I don't think I'd watch it because I don't want any explanation for some of these scenes. I, I just want them to stay gotten... weird dreams. Oh, we could have gotten a little explanation. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, Angelica is swimming down and then this shark just sorts of, sort of whacks her with his tail. <laughs> hey, stop it. She she's taking pictures underwater and later we see her in uh, developing them. And as they're developing, like a weird human figure appears, um, but then it disappears once the film has completely developed. Um, and she later says that there were all kinds of strange images appearing in her pictures. So she's going to go back down again. Like, it's almost like they were just coming up with more excuses for her to dive back down. They kind of wrote themselves into a corner by having the main protagonist get shot and wheelchair bound. Yeah, but Angelica's going to go. Enrique is uh, demands that he goes too, And then Ricardo, th the doctor, thinks both of them are insane. But he demands that if they're going out there to like pursue this suicide mission, that he's going to go to. So we got all the main characters on the same boat heading out for the last time. The gangster boat shows up and Andres, instead of getting shot, he just dives backwards into the water with his wheelchair and starts to sink down to find... Angelica. I mean, you should you should know that before this happens, one 
of their crew members, uh, one of Andre's crew members went down first and they dropped extra equipment down after him in case he needed to stay down longer. Instead, now Andreas is sinking using the wheelchair to reach those uh, oxygen tanks and um, you know diving equipment so that he can uh, stay in the water. Right. So as Ricardo is in, in like the the ship captain or the boat captain are fighting with the gangster up on the boat, uh, there's also gangster divers who are in a shooting match underwater with Andres. And Andres dispatches with them and the we get to see s- scenes of the sharks chewing them up and tearing their limbs apart. This is really the only gore we get in the film, but it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Andre sees this bright light um, and in front of it, it looks like a figurine, like a little humanoid figure. It seems like the figure is giving the sharks okay to like rip these guys apart. Andres is so Andres and Angelica are both trying to get back to the boat away from the killer sharks. And Andres is almost to the boat when he gets torn apart by sharks and Angelica and Ricardo watch him get eaten. You know, leading up to that scene, though, he takes those dead gangsters from earlier who were killed in the spear gun shootout. Well, he takes one of them and takes the body up with him as he ascends and uses it as a human shield to deflect shark attacks as they're just like ripping limbs off that body. Yeah, I mean, Andres makes all kinds of kind of MacGyver smart decisions throughout this film. Well, the smarter decision would have been stay out of the water. Don't go back. But Enrique... So they never find Enrique, right? No, like, but he's going to show up in like two to six months in the ocean anyway. <laughs> they should have just waited it out. So th- this is the last scene. We see um, Angelica and Ricardo standing on the side of the boat, like embracing as uh, Andres gets eaten. And so I had, first of all, it kind of sucks to be Ricardo. Like, I mean, yeah, now you have the girl, but you know that you she's only with you because her real fiance was eaten by sharks. Some days it'd be like that. I don't know. I felt bad for him. But we reached the scene without ever finding out what's in the box. So it's a, like a real MacGuffin because no, its only purpose is to drive the plot, right? Uh we don't find it. We Enrique does not make it back. Our main character dies. Our main bad guys die, but we don't really know what they were looking for. And we don't really know what happened underwater, except some weird doll thing shot lasers and sharks attacked. You know, when it comes to the Bermuda Triangle and... I guess like uh, cryptozoology or whatever. You know, there's a lot of correlation between aliens and the triangle. So I feel like this is kind of like a reverse alien abduction story where people are just getting sucked into this underwater palace 
whatever is happening is happening and then they get launched out with amnesia right i mean we the best we're given is that description that maybe they're from another world but or or a lost civilization but we know they need us for something and that's all we were given like so lovecraft maybe yeah so maybe i wasn't given this film enough credit at the beginning but and it's it's warming up to me a little bit yeah i mean the first time i saw it i remember at first i wasn't sure that i really cared enough to watch the whole thing then came the scene and that sucked me in and i was with it for the rest and then i feel like i initially dismissed the rest of the movie but as time went on i just kept thinking about it like it didn't leave my mind for some reason you know what this movie makes me think of it feels like something you see on tv in the middle of the day when you're a kid and then 20 years later you're thinking back on it but the memories are a little bit hazy because you don't you don't quite remember everything you only remember that one scene that like really freaked you out only right. i just saw the movie yesterday yeah yeah <laughs> that's a pretty it's a pretty good comparison that's what it, it's an it's a really difficult feeling to describe but hopefully that goes some ways towards doing so so anyway right what are your final thoughts what would you rate this out of four so like first i i just have to stress although we kind of skipped over it a little bit the ending scene for this film is so chaotic like it's just about 10 15 minutes of pure underwater action scene and, yeah and it's really hard to tell who's who it is um but you know watching this film is, is kind of like microdosing psychedelics at like the living seas in Epcot. Like for those unfamiliar, that was a um, a casual dark ride through a very large aquarium at Disney World. Um, it was loaded with all sorts of like cool future 70s, 80s aesthetic, but it sucks now because it's been since redesigned with a bunch of um, obnoxious like little Nemo fluff. But like the the, the music reminds me of what was at that ride yeah i mean i still don't know what the fuck this film's about you kind of just have to make your own narrative but like an eldritch undersea civilization that mind controls sharks crashes planes abducts fishermen and families sometimes and they like boxes well, like, if anything, I, I do think this film is is definitely worth watching for the doll scene and the crazy finale alone. Although I lament the overabundance of loose ends. Um, sometimes less is more, and I'm glad this film exists because until, until Cave of the Sharks, I wouldn't have thought it was possible to combined you know euro crime drama with unknowable ancient horror two and a half stars yeah this this is like last week but for different reasons i find this a really difficult film to rate because on the one hand like the acting is fine for this kind of movie the dubbing is bad 
the direction is bad. In some scenes, it's hard to tell what's going on. The plot is obviously one, like a series of MacGuffins that don't matter. Um, We get no answers at the end. And the best scene of the movie has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. With all that said, this movie, especially in that scene, captures this really odd dreamlike nightmarish quality that literally ranks up there with some of Lynch's stuff as like the closest thing on screen to capturing what it feels like to have a dream or what it feels like to think back on a hazy childhood memory. I think it's probably purely accidental, but it's an accidental moment of genius. Um, And that alone makes this film worth watching. But outside of that, I mean, the adventure story, the the crime thing, the um, underwater diving, the search for the lost friend, that all feels kind of like a movie I would have watched on the sci-fi channel when I was a kid and like had fun with. Um, And I don't think it's boring. Uh, It's a little slow to get started, but then you really get sucked in. I was struggling between like two and three stars for this. So I guess I'll give it two and a half as well. But I want to stress that people should check it out, even though that rating doesn't sound great. Like, see the film. I don't think anyone will regret it. And I think this film's probably criminally underseen. One of the reasons I wanted to do it for the podcast is I have never heard anyone else talk about this. I don't know anyone else who has seen it. Uh, Mainly, I just wanted Leland to watch it. So, like, I knew someone else who had seen it. And I could get some take on that doll scene. Look, it exists. (laughs) This film exists. Yeah, seriously, this is like... If I had seen this as a kid and I was thinking back on it, I think I'd wonder if I dreamed it or if it really existed. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you're saying, it, even just having like two days to to have this film marinate, I think has made a, a difference. And then talking it out with you has made a difference. Yeah, it it's unique. And, and the thanks to the blessing of youtube everybody can go watch it for free so with that said i think that about wraps it up for this week you can find us on uh instagram at video.store.nightmares uh and you know i post everything that we do i'm gonna post information on a giveaway soon uh so keep an eye out for that that should be exciting You should join us next week. We're going to be watching 1973's The Baby, which when we started this podcast, this is one of the films that I had in mind. So I'm really excited to talk about it. This movie is also available on YouTube. It's out on DVD. You can rent it on Amazon. I think it's on Tubi for free. Uh, The VHS tape, despite being really cool, isn't even that expensive. So everybody should check it out if you haven't seen it before. And then come back next week and 
and hear us talk about it on Video Store Nightmares. Um, wherever you're listening, please rate, review, and subscribe. That'll help us out. And that's it for this week. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for listening. All right. Talk to you all next week. Bye. time the sky is clear the sun is shining we are sailing all our friends are on board let's drift away to other lands to silver sands where palms are swaying across the ocean We've got time on our hands Sailboats are sailing The hot sun is high up in the summer sky Sailboats are sailing The hot sun is high up in the summer sky Just sitting time the sky is clear the sun is shining we are sailing all our friends are on board sailboats are sailing the hot sun is high up in a summer sky Sailboats are sailing, the hot sun is high up in the summer sky. Let's drift away to other lands, to silver sands, where palms are swaying across the ocean. We've got time on our hands. Sailboats are sailing, the hot sun is high up in the summer sky. Sailboats are sailing, the hot sun is high up in the summer sky. Sailboats are sailing, the hot sun is high up in the summer sky. Sailboats are sailing, the hot sun is high up in a summer sky. Do